Good morning. It's nice to be with you this morning. My name is Kurt Miller. I am one of the missionaries from Riverstone Church, and I'll be speaking this morning. Uh, my family and I have just had a cold this week. Don't worry, it's not COVID, but if I sound a little stopped up, that's probably why. So we have three kids, three and under. So when one gets it, everyone gets it. So that's, that's our situation. If I seem a little out of it, then you know why. This morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 24. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew 24. I'll read from this passage, and then it will also be on the screen. And then I'll pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3 through 14. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginnings of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for everything you're doing in our lives, in our church, in our hearts. God, we pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be present to give us the spirit of revelation. Lord, that this message, that your words would pierce our hearts this morning in a way that allows us to see Jesus more fully. God, would you open our eyes? Would you fascinate our hearts? We want to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have uh, read this passage before or not, if this is the first time reading it this morning, I'm sure you're probably thinking, where is this going to go? Not the most happy, clappy passage for a Sunday morning. But I do think it's an important passage for us, and obviously Jesus thought it was important information for us to know. If you're familiar with the church calendar, you know that next week is actually Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost happens about 50 days after Easter, and it's when we remember what happened in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and flaming tongues of fire rested on the heads of those who were gathered. And that's next week. So I felt like it was appropriate to preach on this topic prior to Pentecost, and I think you'll start to see why. Obviously, the end times and the end of the age is a very uh, difficult subject to understand, probably a subject that has different layers 
a lot of differing opinions, and I don't plan to solve all of that for you this morning, but I hope that we can whet your appetite. It's clear that Jesus didn't want us to avoid this subject. I know it can be easy to avoid. I know because it's difficult and complex, we may not wanna talk about it, but it's not something that Jesus didn't want us to talk about, otherwise he wouldn't have spoken about it in the ways that he did. Now in Matthew 24, this is the week before Jesus goes to the cross. It probably happened on Tuesday of Holy Week is when scholars think that Jesus gave this sermon. And what we see is that, I spoke about this on Palm Sunday, actually. If you were here, you may remember it, but most of the Jewish people and especially the followers of Jesus, they were waiting for a Messiah who not only would come and save their souls, but who would actually establish the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Israel. And I'm gonna explain that here in a second. But today, when I talk about this, we have to talk first about the kingdom of God and get a general understanding of the, the big picture and the narrative of God's kingdom and how the last 2000 years has progressed and what potentially the future could be for the kingdom of God. And then second, I wanna give you three different misconceptions that I see related to the subject of the end of the age. Now the kingdom of God, the reason I say this is because of Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one, verses six through eight, and this will be on the screen for you. The disciples, this is after, the, after Jesus has risen from the dead and he's talking with the disciples before he ascends to the heavens. In Acts chapter one, verses six through eight, the disciples come to him and say, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that my father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So after the resurrection, the disciples, they've seen Jesus, they've lived with Jesus, they've heard his message, they've accepted his message. In fact, they've sacrificed a lot to be in the position that they are. And they look at him and they say, is now the time that you're gonna restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, it's important to note that Jesus doesn't correct them. He doesn't say that he's not going to restore the kingdom of Israel. So there is a time where he will restore the kingdom of Israel, but what he actually says is, it's not for you to know when that'll happen first. Second, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And third, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus doesn't tell them, no, look, this isn't gonna happen. He doesn't say that. He says, wait, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. One of the reasons that I think it's important to understand the end of the age and the end times is because I, don't, I think this is the way that humans are, desire, are wired, but sometimes the end of something or where we're going is what affects us today and the way that we live our, live our lives today. For example, my family and I, we're currently in the process of rebuilding uh, and reorganizing a team so that we can go back overseas. I love thinking about what it could look like in 10 years. I'm not always the best at planning out 
the day-to-day stuff, but I love looking 10 years down the road, what, we, what we're called to do, what we could see happen. And when I do that, it actually motivates me every day to do what I need to do in order to get there. I think the same is true about the subject of the end of the age. When we know what's coming in the future, when we know the end that God has in plan for his church, it changes the way that we live our lives today. And I believe that that's the way that God designed us. That's the way that he wired us. And many of us, maybe we don't have a grid for what could happen or what the Bible talks about will happen at the end of the age. So it's important to understand the kingdom. So at, at, the, at Pentecost, Acts chapter two, when God pours out his Holy Spirit, what happens is we enter into an era, which we are still in from Pentecost until now, the era of the church, or you could also call it the present, this present evil age. And the reason I say it that way is because it's a time when the church is alive, when the church is God's instrument on the earth, but it's also a time where sin and lawlessness and wickedness still exist, injustice still exists. So I like to call it the, a pre, this present evil age. But Pentecost did not happen just to be a moment in time. Pentecost was not given so that there could just be a few in Jerusalem that God poured out his spirit upon. But Pentecost is a moment where the church receives power in order to be his witnesses so that the end will come. It's three things. Pentecost happens so that the church can receive power in order to be his witnesses so that the end will come. That's what we read in Matthew 24, 14 that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all nations and then the end will come. So that end that we're gonna talk about in a moment, that cannot happen until the gospel goes forth to all nations, which cannot happen until we receive power from on high. That's how you look at it in reverse order. There's a theologian by the name of George Ladd and George Ladd, he, he says this about the age that we're living in. He says, the early church found itself living in a tension between realization and expectation, between already and not yet. The age of fulfillment has come, but the day of consummation stands yet in the future. George Ladd was a, a commentator in the 20th century and He has this little book called The Gospel of the Kingdom, incredible book that I'd recommend you to get. But he coined this idea about the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is something that's already here, but has not yet come to its fullness. And when we say already here, what we're talking about is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Because of what happened at Pentecost, because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God is manifest amongst us. So today we can encounter a piece of what is part of the kingdom of God when we pray. When we pray for someone who's sick, we can see them healed. But the problem is, is that kingdom is not fully here here yet. And so sometimes maybe they don't get healed. We don't know why. We can't give all the reasons why. All we know is the kingdom of God is breaking in upon us, but the fullness is still something that can only come in the future after Jesus returns. This is important to understand. Acts 3, 
Verse 19 says it this way, repent therefore and turn back that your sins would be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the restoration of all things. So we're in a season called the times of refreshing, this present evil age where we can experience times of refreshing through the Holy Spirit. Because during this age, Christ has been received in heaven. And when he comes back, the kingdom of God is coming to the earth in its fullness. Now that is just an overview, which I feel like is necessary to understand before we talk about the end times. Are you guys still with me this morning? I know it's a lot. It's not the funnest topic to talk about, but something I felt like was important for us today. Now, as we continue, I wanna give you three misconceptions that I see regarding the topic of the end of the age. The first one, when people approach this subject, I think that many of them think that it's something too complicated, something they're not able to grasp or not able to understand. The problem is that when we think it's too complicated, many times we can look at the Bible, especially the Old Testament prophets, and think that most of those things were fulfilled in history. So we we approach the subject of the end times, Jesus coming back to the earth, and we think, okay, I don't, it's too difficult to understand. That can lead us to think that what we see in in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the 12 minor prophets, Daniel, what we see in those prophetic passages was probably already filled. And there's an element of truth in that. For example, Joel chapter two. Peter in Acts two, he's actually quoting from the prophet Joel, right? But if we only view these things historically, we're missing a large piece of the puzzle. Because in Joel two and in Acts two, when Peter prophesies this same passage, it says, in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. In Acts chapter two, God did pour out his spirit, but it was only on a small select group of believers that were gathered in Jerusalem. But there is a day coming where God said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So to approach it and think it's too complicated, we have to remember that there is, it's not just something that's historical. Prophecy, I understand, can be very difficult at times because prophecy uses poetic language. When you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, I'm sure you've seen that prophecy uses poetic language. However, if God did not want us to understand what he was talking about when it comes to the subject of the end of the age, he would not have given us these scriptures. Now, the second misconception that I think is very common about the subject of the end of the age is that it's not important. Um, And there is a level of truth that it's not a salvation issue. I remember that many times I've talked about this subject and people are like, well, I don't wanna debate and go back and forth. And I don't like debating about this either. But a lot of people say it's not important to talk about because it doesn't determine our salvation. That's true. It does not determine your salvation, but it does affect the way that you live today. And if you see it as unimportant, then you'll start to read the Bible and interpret a lot of the things that relate to the end of the age as symbols or as allegories. 
that maybe there's not a literal judgment or maybe there's not a literal uh, kingdom that's coming to the earth. I know a lot of times, you know, growing up, we, we uh, for better or worse, I don't know if this is a problem, but somehow children, I'm thinking of my own kids because they already think of this this way, but they th- we think of heaven as becoming an angel, right? You die, you go to heaven, you become an angel. And unfortunately, there's nothing biblical about that. <laughs> you know, there is nothing biblical about when you die, you become an angel. In fact, what's biblical about what happens to you when you die is in 1 Corinthians 15. When you die and when Jesus comes again, you actually receive a resurrected body. Body not an angel, and you don't float on clouds. So there are a lot of misconceptions that if we just think it's not important, we'll start to create ideas like that and interpret things that, that are actually very important. We'll interpret them as symbols. Not only that, but about the subject of the end times and scripture. When we look at the Bible, we see the four gospels. If you count all the chapters of the four gospels, you have 89 different chapters which is huge, very important. But if you were to count just chapters related to the second coming of Christ, you would find over a hundred different chapters in the Bible about that day. Over a hundred different chapters. And it's still something that we can't seem to get a grasp on or at least have an opinion about, which changes the way that we live. And lastly, about it being important, not important, Jesus actually says himself in Luke 21, which is Luke's, rendition of what happened in Matthew 24. He says, stay awake at all times, praying that you would be able to endure these things. Jesus frequently talks about the end times and he exhorts us to stay awake, to stay alert because we don't know the day or the hour, but we can watch and we can pray and we can be prepared for whenever that day might come. And the third and final misconception that I think is common about the end of the age is that it's an event or a subject that's too frightening or too terrifying. I think a a lot of what we think about the end times comes from the word apocalypse. The word apocalypse in an English definition is defined as the complete and final destruction of the world as described in the book of Revelation. That's a pretty scary definition. The complete and final destruction of the world as we see in the book of Revelation. But the word apocalypse actually, actually is what the, is the title of the book of Revelation. Revelation is the English translation of the word apocalypse. But the Greek definition of apocalypse, and I don't like talking about Greek too much, but I wanna tell you this, it's very important. The word literally means an unveiling, okay? The word apocalypse, which is the title of the book of Revelation, it means to unveil or to remove the cover. And so the book of Revelation, which is largely about the end times, is not an event that just describes the doom and the destruction of the world, but the book of Revelation is what John described the book of Revelation as in chapter one, verse one. He says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The end times is not so much about a series of events that leads to doom and destruction and the consummation of the world. The subject of the end times is about Jesus being unveiled 
so that he can be seen in the fullness of who he is, not just the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, although he is that, but he is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he is the king of the world that's going to bring justice and righteousness and establish his kingdom. Of the increase, Daniel says it this way, of the increase of his of the increase of his government, the peace shall know no end. Justice and righteousness will be established on the earth. The things that we look and we see are unjust, not right, immoral, lawless, will be done away with. And there is only one person who has the power and the authority to make that happen. The problem when we view the end times as terrifying or as scary, it can lead us into what I see as potentially wrong theology. One example of this is the, issue, is the subject of the rapture. I think that most of you have probably heard that term before, rapture. The word rapture itself is not biblical, but the idea comes from 2 Thessalonians 2, where Paul says that we will be gathered up and transformed in the twinkling of an eye. And that idea is very biblical, obviously. But a lot of times, especially in the last 200 years, the idea of the rapture has become a tool that's used to say that the church is gonna be able to escape something that's happening in the future. So when we think about the end times, we think about the rapture, Jesus is coming back. Most of us think that there will be this event called the rapture that will remove the church prior to when things get difficult. There is very little scriptural evidence to back that doctrine up. I know that's a controversial statement, but when you read the Bible, Jesus actually says somewhat of the opposite, which is what we read in Matthew 24. He says, you're gonna experience tribulation. You're gonna experience trials. In fact, you might even be handed over to death. The doctrine of the rapture that I'm talking about right now, it actually doesn't even have any historical uh, thought. It was created in the last 150 to 200 years. And it was created in many ways to help us grasp what's gonna happen at the end times because it is gonna be difficult. It is gonna be hard. And so we want to think that because it's gonna be so difficult and because it's gonna be so hard, maybe we just won't be here, right? God, a God of love would not let us go through such things. But that's not the case. Now, does God desire that anyone should perish? No. But is he also a God of holiness? Yes. So the events of the end times there are two extremes that you face. You, face you, you have the judgments of God, but you also have the persecution that comes from unbelievers. As the church, we are not subject to the judgments of God. I think the, the greatest comparison that you could look to is what happened to Israel in the book of Exodus. When God was delivering them from Pharaoh, there were judgments, plagues, all of these different things, but God protected his people. 
While there was darkness across the whole land, there was light for the people of God. When the firstborn kids were being killed, God protected and passed over the firstborn child of those in the tribe of Israel. And so the end times in a similar way, we are not going to escape some of those trials and those tribulations. Matthew 24 talks about them in different ways. There's gonna be deception. There's gonna be betrayal. There's gonna be false prophets. And he says, the love of many will grow cold. War, nation will rise against nation, persecution and lawlessness will prevail. The way that we see Jesus describe the end times is that it's going to be so difficult. Watch and pray so that you are not deceived. Watch and pray so that you are ready. Not so that you're afraid, not because it's going to take you out, but watch and pray so that you're ready, you're awake, you're waiting for him. At the same time, in the end of the age, we have the church is also starting to experience the fullness of God. It's what we talked about in Acts chapter two. In the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So why, while wickedness and lawlessness and war and conflict and strife and betrayal and deception and all these things, they are climaxing, the church is not getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. No, the church is actually experiencing the fullness of God in a way that we have yet to experience. It's a revival that moves across the globe. Why? In order to unite the body of Christ to make his bride spotless. The church is often referred to as the bride of Christ. And before he comes again, he will bring the bride of Christ and make us spotless, make us pure. He will have a spotless bride. And so as these events are unfolding and as this time draws near, the church, while we will face much persecution and many challenges, we're actually starting to operate in our identity. Now we, we can see some of that on Sunday mornings. We can see some of that when we pray for each other. We can see sickness healed. We can see people with diseases healed. We can see miracles. We can see signs and wonders, but there's going to be a day just before Jesus returns where you will walk to someone who's an unbeliever and you lay hands on them and they're not even walking and they will get up and start walking. That's the power that's going to rest upon the church before Jesus returns. And those are the two extremes that we see climaxing at the end of the age. I know that this is not a, probably, probably, I don't even know, some of you may not have heard a sermon about this before, and it's not always the easiest subject to talk about, but there's two reasons why I wanted to share about this this morning. I think that first, these are days, I, I don't know if this is an event that's gonna happen 100 years from now or 500 years from now or 20 years from now. Jesus says himself that we cannot know the day or the hour. We don't know those things. But he does tell us that we're to watch and pray and be ready. 
that, that means being ready for something like persecution, being ready for our rights to be stripped away. Who, who, who even gave us the idea that we're entitled to those types of rights? When we choose to follow Jesus, we don't have those anyway. And these are days where we prepare. And when I say prepare, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not talking about building bunkers. <laughs> I'm not talking about a basement full of food. I'm really not. I'm talking about prepare the way that Joel describes prepare right before he prophesies about the end times. Joel chapter two. He says, rend your heart, not your garments. Turn to me. Give me everything. That's the invitation that he's given us in these days is to prepare. Again, not by building bunkers, not by storing up food, but to turn to him, to prepare our hearts, to rend our hearts, to give ourselves fully to him. Not so that he can bless us, not so that he can give us something, but because he's worthy. And the second reason, and I'll ask Austin if you wanna come up. The second reason that I wanted to talk about this subject this morning is because the end times is not just, it's, and it's really not about doom and destruction. The end times is about seeing the fullness of who Jesus is as the king. We talk about him as the king, but sometimes we don't understand who he is as the king and what that means. I love one of the songs that Austin played this morning, and I think he's gonna lead it for ministry time, but it says, he is worthy to take the seal and to open the scroll. And some of you may not have never heard that phrase before. But that phrase comes from the book of Revelation, chapters five and six. And it's saying that he is the one who is worthy to take the seal and open the scroll. And if you read the book of that, that chapter, that seal and that scroll, which I believe is God's title deed to the earth, behind that scroll are judgments. Behind that scroll is something that is, is God's action that he takes against unrighteousness and wickedness. And when we start to see this, it's a hard thing to swallow initially. But I believe that God wants us to see him in this way and worship him. What, that's one of my favorite songs because it's, it's I don't feel incredibly strong when I sing that song because it's moving. I don't want these things to happen. And I don't think that God desires to judge unrighteousness, but he has to because he is holy. And so when we sing a song like that, and when we talk about him as king, when we talk about him as a just judge, we're declaring, Lord, we don't understand, but we know you are holy. And we long for your holiness, 
for your righteousness. We long for the glory of God to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Paul says that we would be eagerly longing and waiting for his appearing. And this is his appearing. It's not easy. It's not something enjoyable all of the time, but it is so beautiful because we know that with his appearing, all of the things that are so unjust in the world today will be wiped away. All of the things, all of the lawlessness that exists will be cleansed. And King Jesus will reign. That is where the story ends. And that is where it goes. This morning, as we go into ministry time, we're gonna have teams up here to pray for you. And I, I wanna pray for you about this subject, of course, if you have a desire to understand or to see him in this way. We wanna pray for you, but not just about that. I also felt led to really pray for people who are experiencing sickness who are experiencing disease in your bodies because we are the church today and that Holy Spirit rests upon us. Hebrews 6 says that we can pull from the powers of the age to come. We taste of the powers of the age to come. That's what he says. We taste of the powers of the age to come today. And if you need that taste of those powers that I described when all of righteousness reigns when wickedness is removed, then we wanna pray for you this morning. So why don't we go ahead and stand? I'm gonna invite the teams to come down and I wanna pray for us and however else you feel like you wanna respond, please respond, please respond. I realize that it's not always, this subject's not maybe the one that's most talked about or easy to understand, but I believe that the Lord wants to speak, that he wants to begin that process for us. So Lord, we welcome your spirit. God, some of these things are so difficult and maybe, maybe we've made them difficult for ourselves. But Lord, my prayer this morning is not that we would try to solve every prophecy. That's something we'll never be able to do. But my prayer, God, is that we would eagerly wait and long for your appearing. That we would be hungry to experience the fullness of the kingdom that's not yet here. That it would come crashing in upon us this morning that we would taste of the powers of the age to come. God, I pray for every person this morning. Would you touch us? Would you speak to us? In Jesus' name.